0: So, welcome, you guys. Uh, my name is Drake. I'm on staff here with Salt Company. Um, and here, here's the thing. We are in our last week of our Come and See series, okay? So that obviously means next week we're kicking off a new series uh, I'm excited for. It. It'll it be a fun one. We're titling it The Talk, dot, 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 okay? So what we're going to be talking about is singleness, sex, and dating. So invite people to come out, all right? These are topics that you've probably thought about once or twice in your life, um, but we want you to come out and be a part of that, because here's the thing. Here's the thing, everyone. Let's bring it back in. Culture has a lot to say about those things, but so does the Bible. And what we want to do is we actually want to open up God's Word, because we believe that His voice is revealed in His Word, and we actually want to submit our lives to see what does God have to say about those things. And so we're going to gather together, we're going to worship, and we're going to talk about those things during the talk series Um, but here tonight we are finishing up our come and see series and so here's what we've been doing all throughout this series we've basically just been saying come and see this king jesus come and see this king that's ushering in a new kingdom that you actually can be a part of a kingdom that's upside down from this world one where it's god's reign over god's people and tonight, I actually wanna start off with talking about the idea of a fallback plan, okay? So you guys know what a fallback plan is. You've got your plan A that you hope happens, right? But if that is starting to seem like it's not going to, you create in your mind a fallback plan. Like, what am I going to do if this doesn't work out? It's not an ideal plan, but hey, it's a plan, right? It's, it's something you can tackle if plan A doesn't work out. And some of you, you know, you've taken your first couple tests already, And you've kind of been working in your mind, what's what's your fallback plan going to be, right? I'm sorry if that hits too close to home for you. Um, I get it, right? Here's the thing. We're going to be talking about the disciples experiencing that same thing. Like, time and time again, when they were following Jesus, they were probably wondering, what is our fallback plan? Like, they're following this dude into Jerusalem, thinking he's going to take the throne. Instead, he veers off and takes the cross instead leaving them just like, what is our fallback plan? What are we supposed to do now? And then he raises from the grave, and they're like, sweet, he's back. All right, now we're going to follow you again, Jesus. And then he floats off into the clouds, and they're like, dang it. He keeps, he, keeps doing, you know, he keeps doing that, right? What is our fallback plan? And honestly, so this is the setting of tonight's text. We are talking about Jesus right before he ascends to the throne and some of the last words that he gives his disciples. And if you even think about people's final words in their final moments of life, those are some of the most significant words that they're going to pass off to someone. And so tonight, we are going to see Jesus' final words that he gives his disciples. Again, in their mind, they're probably like, this isn't the ideal plan, but what's the fallback plan going to be that we're going to be operating out of? So Open up your Bible to Acts 1. All right? we, we've been camping out in the book of Luke. We're going to be starting in Acts. If you don't know your Bible, it's the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. A little pro tip, the app is a whole lot easier to find the books, so you can find them and not act like you don't know where they are. Um, so do that. Open up to Acts 1, verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So let's stop there real quick. So let's notice in some of those first words, he says, O Theophilus, in the first book, what is he referring to? So the writer of Acts is actually Luke. Okay, so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote Acts as well. This was meant to be almost one book in two separate volumes. So this is a continuation of everything that Luke was talking about in the Gospel of Luke, now transitioning into the book of Acts. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that topic of dealing with all of that, he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. And then he continues on in verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so here's what it says. It says, after he rose from the grave, he spent 40 days proving to his disciples that he rose from the grave. Right? You think like a hello would have done it. But he spends 40 days literally laying out time to time. No, it's me. Like you can see my scars. Okay, you know me, I know the stories of your life. He continues to walk through those, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God, which is actually just a continuation of what he did during his whole life's ministry. Everything Jesus did was to speak towards or to live in such a way that he would display the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was constantly living in such a way and speaking in such a way where he was saying, Come and see." A kingdom that's so dramatically different from the world that you live in the kingdom of god is something that is talked about all throughout the bible and it's talked about a lot in the gospel of luke okay it's 35 times throughout the gospel of luke it talks about the kingdom of god and we hear it a lot or maybe you're new and this is like the first time you're hearing it but i think if we actually ask ourselves like do we understand what that means maybe we wouldn't know right like We don't use kingdom language anymore when we talk about our world. So when we're referring to the kingdom of God, what is he talking about? Well, let's look at Acts 1 again, where it says, Luke writes that the gospel was meant to display all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So throughout the gospel, we see Jesus showing off the kingdom of God. So we just have to look back to the gospel of Luke to see that on display, right? So let's begin with how he taught about his kingdom. In Luke 6, we see Jesus saying, come and see a kingdom where the poor are blessed. In Luke 9, come and see a kingdom where you need to deny yourself and live a life of sacrifice, not trying to lift up your own name. In Luke 13, come and see a kingdom that is like the smallest of mustard seeds but then grows to be a great, solid tree. Later in Luke 13, come and see a kingdom where the last will be first and the first will be last. Come and see a kingdom In Luke 14, where everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So he's speaking to a kingdom that is dramatically different. I would say upside down or opposite to the one that we operate in. And so he was teaching to that in every single teaching that he did while he was on this earth, but he also lived it out. He said, let's look at how Jesus taught and did things while he was here. And so what are some of the things that Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus wasn't trying to surround himself with influential people or people that were high in society that would make us look good, like we might tend to do, but he would actually drift towards the broken and the outcast to show them how much he cared for them. Jesus healed many. Like, think about that. If I'm sick, I may be trying to keep a distance from other people because if I come into contact with you, you get sick, right? But for Jesus, when he came into contact with sick people, he didn't get sick, they got healed. Flips this world on its head. Jesus fled the glory and the fame of crowds. As crowds started to surround him, he would actually dip out where my heart would want to just get all of the praise and glory. Jesus dips away to the mountaintop so he can be with his father and to lift up his father's name rather than his own. Jesus didn't use his power to wound people. In this world, I think we've seen a lot of different cases where power has been used wrongly to abuse people. Jesus didn't use his power to wound people. He actually used his power to wound himself so that you didn't have to be. Jesus didn't climb the ladder of status in this world, but he climbed the mountain of Calvary carrying a cross so that he would be crucified and humiliated in this world. Jesus wasn't defeated by death, but he himself defeated death and rose from the grave. This is the king that we worship. Throughout his life, Jesus is saying, come and see a kingdom that is completely upside down from this world. So we say the kingdom of God is God's reign over God's people, which is a kingdom that's all for the glory of God and all for our greatest joy. It's a kingdom where evil has no ability to survive. It's a kingdom that is full of life and joy and peace and contentment and people being valued as they should. As we think about this, like we know this is how it ought to be. Like as we hear Jesus talking about this kingdom, what we really are hearing is the invitation to the greatest homecoming party you could ever be a part of. This kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. This was the kingdom that he was saying, come and see. Wouldn't that be amazing? If that was true. Here's the thing. That's not the kingdom that the disciples wanted. Because the disciples didn't want Jesus to flip this world upside down. They actually wanted him to rise the ranks of this world and to take power so that they could lead with him. Like, let's even look at verse 6 of this chapter. The question is asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Notice the difference in wording. They don't say the kingdom of God. They say the kingdom of Israel. Like, they want him to rise in power so they can overtake Rome who has been oppressing them, right? And so the disciples didn't actually want Jesus to be their Lord. They wanted to be Lord, and they wanted him to play a part in that. The disciples didn't actually want the kingdom Jesus was ushering in. And a lot of times, you don't want that either. There are many ways that we can do this, that we voice from our own lips. Like, Jesus, I will follow you faithfully with my life if you give me this relationship. <laughs> Jesus, I, I, I love some of your scripture. Like, some of your scripture I, I talk about all the time, and I cherish it, and I read it but there's some of it that just doesn't jive with how I think, and it doesn't line up with how I think the world should be. Or Jesus, I will raise my hands on Wednesdays, but I'm still going to put a drink in my hand casually on the weekends when I'm not of age. And some of you casually might not be the word you choose. What is it for you? All of these are you standing in a position where if you feel like you can tell Jesus who he should be, you can tell Jesus how things ought to be rather than submitting to who he actually is. Like a young child trying to run away from his home and the protection of his parents, thinking they know the right way, we often try to forge our own path and thinking we know how to operate the world better than the one who created the world. Like, guys, no one gets frustrated with how Jesus loved people, right? I mean, I just hate it. He's constantly hanging out with the broken, the outcasts of the world, just constantly talking to people that no one else would. No one hated how he healed people. Like, no one's like, hey, Jesus, you should have just left him there, right? No, that, that's not what caused Jesus to be crucified. That's not why we reject Jesus with our life. What is the reason people are turned off by Jesus? Because if he is right, then he is Lord and you are not. It's his word that is good and right and true, not yours. And this very thing is what led him to the bottom of the kingdom of this world to be crucified on a cross. But he did so so that you could rise up with him to the top of the kingdom of God with him in glory. God's kingdom is this, God's reign over God's people. So yes, it is a call for you to submit your life to the kingdom of Christ, for you to look at his word and say, I'm going to follow this, I'm going to not challenge it, but I'm going to be challenged by it. But it's also a kingdom where you're invited into your greatest experience of joy, the joy that you've longed for your entire life. This, is the kingdom that Jesus spent his life saying, come and see. And then he died on a cross so that you could actually experience that kingdom. And Jesus rose from the grave, spends 40 days with his disciples, you know, giving them a ton of those proofs. And before he ascends, he gives his final words. And we're going to break down these final words a little bit, okay? So let's look at verse 4, back to the text. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so first, let's look at what is the significance of Jesus saying, You guys stay in Jerusalem. Because that seems like a pretty easy command, right? Just stay where you're at. Okay, done, check. But why is that significant to the disciples? Think about it. The leader that they're following was just crucified by the people in Jerusalem, and now there's rumors being spread that that dude rose from the grave, and now that's spreading, and more and more followers are coming, and Jerusalem wants to squash that as fast as they can. So how do they do that? They squash the very people carrying that message. They squash the people that are spreading that message. And so Jesus asked them, no, stay there, and there you will receive the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? Okay, so a lot of times when you're reading the Bible and you come up with questions like that, a simple tip, just keep reading, okay? That's probably for all of reading, but for the Bible as well, it's like keep reading to see what the Bible will say. So it says, but to wait for the promise of the Father, what does that mean? Which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we're saying the promise of the Father is that you will be baptized with the Spirit of God. And this is going to be something that, or this has been something that's been highly debated, okay, in the church, and people looking at the Bible, and for some of you that are a little more charismatic in here, I'm sure you're getting real excited about this text right now, but... Here's what I think the text is saying, right? And, and as we sit under this, my encouragement to all of you is like, spend time studying your text. Okay, look, look into it and study it for yourself as well. But during my time, this is what I saw. So it says where John's baptism, so this is speaking of John the Baptist, the one that came before Jesus that was ushering in the ministry of Christ, saying that the Messiah was coming. His baptism was of water, It was a baptism where people were literally just displaying, man, I'm a broken person. Like, I'm a sinner. But what Luke's talking about is this baptism of the Holy Spirit is where God causes the Holy Spirit to reside within you. What he's saying is that this is a spiritual form of baptism where God is placing the Spirit of God in you the moment that you become a Christian. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And when that happens, the kingdom that Jesus was constantly saying, come and see, is now a kingdom that you can actually experience and live out now. Like, you can actually make this a part of your life now because the spirit of God is in you. You can operate out of that kingdom where it's God's reign over God's people. We get to live in that reality and find absolute joy now. Guys, as I was looking back throughout my life, there's been glimpses, all right? You have to look back over a long period to see glimpses of growth for myself. But as I look back over my life, I see glimpses of God doing that. Like God taking this broken person right here, like I'm as broken as you guys, all right? This broken person and slowly Making me more and more like Jesus, slowly having me operate more and more out of the kingdom. So, what are some of the things that the Spirit of God has revealed in me? The Spirit of God has shown me that God's call for purity is not actually a barrier to joy, but actually an invitation to joy. The Spirit has shown me that addiction has no power over the Spirit of God, but He has conquered all things. I found the freedom in putting others before me. Like a lot of times, I would just compare myself to others. Like, look at the strengths that this person has. Look at the giftings that this person has. I want all of these things, and I wasn't satisfied with anything I had. But instead of wanting the gifts and strengths that everyone else has, he's grown me to be content with who I am, and I can actually celebrate the gifts and strengths of other people rather than critiquing and comparing to them all the time. By the Spirit, I've found the ability to truly forgive people who have harmed me or hurt me rather than letting bitterness just eat me up from the inside out. Moments where I'm in awe because the Spirit is actually changing this broken person. Like the Spirit is actually rewiring my desires so that I would long to live more in the kingdom of God rather than this world. And some of you have experienced that. Like you've seen God shape and change your heart to where you love the things that he loves. You delight in the things that he delights in more than your old life. But through this, I've also wrestled with a lot of seasons of being discouraged. Like I'm still incredibly sinful and wrestle with that reality all the time and maybe for some of you, that more describes you tonight. Like you're wrestling with, man, why am I still struggling with this thing in my life? Every time I promise God, I I will never do this thing again, but yet you find yourself coming back to it time and time again, and you ask yourself, man, am I ever going to change? Here's some encouragement I want to give to you. Satan is going to try as hard as he can to make you focus on your own ability to change yourself where that's not actually where change is found. Change is completely found in the Spirit of God dwelling within you, slowly pushing out the sinful parts of you and making you you more and more like Christ. As you dwell with Him, God has placed the Spirit of God in you because you couldn't change yourself on your own ability. Like, it's not the strength of yourself that causes you to change. It's the strength of Christ in you. It's the purity of Christ. It's the joy of Christ. It's the peace of Christ. It's the contentment of Christ that is actually in you. That is causing you to walk and to be more like Him. Christian, fix your eyes on that reality. You can often operate as if you've got this chain around your leg that's keeping you tied to sin, but what you don't realize is that the lock has already been unlocked. Like, you can walk out whenever you want. The Spirit has empowered you to live in that new life. Fix your eyes on that, not your own ability, because it's all by the power of the Spirit. Let's look at Romans 8, 11, where it says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, like the same Spirit that lifted Jesus' dead body from the ground, if that same Spirit dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I just want to say real quick if if that doesn't describe you. Like if you're new here, this is your first time, you've never really been to a church service, you you haven't put your faith in Christ. First off, I want to say thank you for coming. Like we want you to come and see this incredible savior. We want you to be a part of this. But I also want you to hear that there's an incredibly free invitation to begin living in that life. That yes, you are broken. But Jesus actually took all that brokenness upon himself and died on a cross that you could experience the kingdom of God right now in your life. This kingdom that Jesus was constantly saying, come and see, is now one that you can actually experience. So Saul, come here. I want you to think with me for a little bit. Like, what if this room became a room full of people choosing to live in a way where they trust Jesus' word more than our own? Like, what if we surrender our life to him knowing that that is actually for our absolute joy? What if we started to become more and more like Christ and celebrating the freedom that is found there? what if we actually started chasing after the kingdom of God, wanting to live more and more like that? And what if that became true about this room, but then we never invited anyone else into that celebration? Jesus is gonna speak to that next. Let's look at verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven will will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So again, they kick off this question of like, Are you now going to restore Israel? And Jesus just simply says, That is the authority of the Father to decide. That is not for you to know. And in that simple statement, I think it's, there's a good lesson for us to learn from scripture, where a lot of times we think if God is good, he would actually tell us all the things that we want, but there's actually some things where he's like, you don't need to know that, and yet we can still trust him. We can still cling to him, knowing that he is good, but he will always reveal the things that we need to know in his word, and so he does that. He says, but this, you you do need to know. So what is that? He says, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witness. The direct result of receiving the Spirit of God is that you are empowered to be a witness for God. Like the direct result of Paige and I having our baby Zedabel is that I became a father. Like it just happens, right? And what he is saying is that if you are in Christ, you are a witness for Christ. You can't separate those things. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, you automatically become a witness for Christ. He says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. Jesus is starting where he has them staying, and then he's slowly working his way out to the known world that they have. So he says, Jerusalem, again, it's in an uproar against Jesus and what they called the way. Judea rejected this ministry altogether. So they tried to avoid that because even when Jesus was here, they were rejecting that. Samaria, Jewish people wanted nothing to do with. And the ends of the world was reaching the far ends of the empire of Rome, which was the empire that was actually oppressing and ruling over them. And then Jesus ascends up into the clouds to sit on the throne at the right hand of God. And he basically says, "You will be the ones to carry this out." Like everything about this seems not ideal. It seems so incredibly unlikely. like Jesus gives this grand vision of how we are going to reach the world, and then he floats off. And then two angels show up, and that just had to scare the crap out of it. like, these crazy things are happening, and the disciples are just left there, like, this is not an ideal plan. What is our fallback plan, right? And let's remember who he's talking to. A bunch of disciples that a little over a month ago abandoned him when he was going to the cross. Like people that were seen as low and outcast in society were in this circle. The leader of the pack, Peter, denied Jesus three times at a little bonfire to a servant girl because he was embarrassed to be associated with Jesus. Like that's the dude That Jesus chose to lead this worldwide mission to turn it upside down. This has got to be a fallback plan, right? Like in our minds, it would be so much easier if Jesus was here with us today. Like if he could help us and teach us today, that would be so much better. As we look at this team that he's talking to, okay, this isn't the A, B, or C team that he's asking to jump in on this mission to change the world, right? Why is that significant? It's because God's glory is showcased by his spirit working in average people to change the world in incredible ways for his sake. Like for Jesus, he actually meant it by saying, it is better that I go than than if I stay with you. It is better that I go to the throne of God. This is not a fallback plan. This is actually the plan that I've designed from eternity past to reach the world. So now Jesus sits on the throne of power over all names, and he sends you out to be his witness. And he doesn't send you out alone. Instead of Jesus being beside you, he actually puts his spirit inside of you so that you are empowered to be a witness for him on this earth. Here's what we believe about Saul Company. Like, there's nothing special about the people here at Saul Company. Like, there's nothing special about myself. I said it before. Like, if you come around long enough, we will let you down. We're a bunch of super average people, right? I know some of you might have your interminal championship shirt, but s- still, hey, you're average, Right? And if you're honest, like, you might try to put on this front like you are an above-average person, but when you're alone, you wrestle with the thought of, man, what if people find out that I'm not? But why is it freeing for us to accept who we really are? Because when we see our weakness, we realize, man, that's the weakness that Jesus actually wants to use for his kingdom. That at the same time, while we are incredibly average, we are also the ones that Jesus chose to change the world. That God has decided to give all of us and to give his greater church a front row seat into him changing life after life after life. And you might be saying here tonight, like, I- I'm down to come on a Wednesday night, but if you knew me, you'd realize, man, I'm not the person you want going to tell others about Jesus. Like, I'm not fit to do that. I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the Bible verses. And here's what I want to say to you. Okay, that is is a thought. That is not Jesus' thought about you. Because what Jesus would say is he's actually empowered you to be the one who is a witness. Like, the person that is in your seat tonight, If you have put your faith in Christ, he has empowered you to be a witness for him. That Jesus invited you to come and see this incredible kingdom so that you would be someone that would go and tell about it. So that other people could come and see this Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, you are a witness. A witness to what? We're going to look at Luke 24, verses 46 through 48 where it clearly lays it out. It says, I want to bring you back, Er, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Everyone wants to be a witness of something great. Like, everyone wants to witness something great and then tell other people about it. Like, we all know people who are the classic one uppers that every time you tell a story, they tell something better that they've seen themselves. Like, we all want to be that person that has witnessed greatness and can tell other people about it. So I want to tell you, the, one of the first times that I visited my in-laws, before they were my in-laws, I walked into the house and I saw a little bulletin board with two baseball tickets pinned to it. And they were to the 1991 Game One and Game Seven of the World Series. If you don't know, that's actually when the Twins were, you know, doing things right. But they were in the World Series. Like there was a time for that, right? And here's what I loved as I sat down and just asked them about it. Like they're just talking about how wild this game was. That it went to the tenth inning, the bottom of the tenth. There's this walk-off single where a Twin was just trotting into home plate, and the whole dome is just going wild like they were a witness to greatness and they love sharing about that soul company you are a witness to the king of the world coming to save this broken world we exist at soul company to come and celebrate jesus week after week after week like if you've come around long enough you'll figure out that's all we talk about But that isn't meant to be a celebration that just gathers in this room. That's actually meant to be a celebration that scatters across your campus and leaves ripple effects to where other people might come and hear a story of a Savior that came that they might be redeemed. What are some ways that you can be doing that? I want to give you guys just five tips, really practical on sharing of your faith, and then just two reminders. One, ask people about their faith And just listen. Like, don't come in with what you want to say. Just ask people. And you will find that people want to talk about it. Like, they're open to sharing about those things. So that's number one. Two, this is almost a framework of how to work it into conversation. Okay, starting with surface-level conversation, moving that to significant, and then spiritual. You're steering the direction in a way that you can actually get to spiritual things. Three, it doesn't have to be random people that you share it with. Like, God has placed a ton of people in your life that you can be sharing the gospel with. Like, he has sent you to your classmates. He has sent you to your roommates. He has sent you to your family. He has sent you to your coworkers to be a witness for Jesus. The people that are closest to you sometimes can be the most difficult to share it with. But you want them to hear about this incredible kingdom for. Tell your story and make Jesus the hero of it. Like, talk about how Jesus has radically changed your life. What's different now that you know him? What sin has he removed? How has your life been more filled with joy because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done? Five, invite people into the places where God is working in your life. Invite people to come to Connection Group. Invite people to come to Salt Company. Like, guys, again, I'm not saying that salt company is a thing that changes people, but I promise you that week after week, we're going to be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, and that is what holds the power to change people's lives. So invite them into that one simple application. Invite one person you know to the fall retreat this weekend. Like, it's literally a whole weekend where we just want to behold Jesus, where life change actually happens that matters for an eternity not just a weekend. Or maybe if you have a connection group and there's someone that can't afford it, reach out to us as a staff team. We want to help people that can't afford it. Or maybe you want to rally people together. Maybe take out one coffee from this next week, right? Pool in some money so that someone from your group can actually go. No cost to them. So those are the five tips for you. I want to give you two reminders. As you go... Remember that you are empowered by the Spirit of God, not your own ability. Like the Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave actually dwells within you, and that is what you're operating out of. Second reminder, the gospel holds the power to change people, not you. I think a lot of times we can be like, man, do I have all the answers? Is this persuasive enough to woo them to know Christ? The simple gospel is the thing that holds the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we just point people to Jesus, like just look to Jesus and what he has done by dying on the cross for your behalf. The reality is that you did not just come to this campus that you're currently at, but God has actually sent you to the campus that you're at to be a witness for him. That Jesus has sent you, and he's drawn you in actually to come and see this kingdom so that you could be sent to go and tell about that very kingdom, that other people might be joined in and coming and seeing this incredible kingdom that lifts up the name of Jesus and that actually provides us with the greatest sense of joy. As, as I wrap up tonight, I want to look back at the first verse of this chapter in Acts. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. As I read that, a word that stuck out to me was the word began. And the reason why Luke wrote the word began there is because he knew Jesus wasn't done yet. But actually, throughout the book of Acts, we see him continuing his ministry through the people of God to reach the world, and he's continued it up to this day to where now Jesus is empowering you to be his witnesses to this campus, that other people might come and know this incredible Savior, that other people might come and see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, it's by your grace that we're able to even come before you tonight. It's by your spirit in us that we can even lift up prayers, we can lift up song to you tonight. Jesus, that you chose to climb the ladder down in this world rather than up. That you went from the throne and came to this earth to go to the lowest part of this world. And you did that because that's what we deserved. Jesus, we are the broken ones. We deserved the cross and yet you took our place so that we could be raised up with you to the top of your kingdom. That we can actually live in a world that's how things ought to be. God, and so as we long for that day when we can fully experience your kingdom, would you make us more and more like you? God, help us to trust your word. Help us to realize that your word is actually a path towards our joy, not a constraint. Help us to be people that trust you And would we submit our lives to you and exalt you with our lives because you're the only one that truly should be exalted. Jesus, I pray that your name would be exalted throughout the years here at Salt Company that our names would be quickly forgotten. Jesus, that you would use this upcoming weekend to change life after life as you have been doing. God, use us to continue your ministry that you started. Empower us to go out and share of your name. We need your grace. We need your spirit.